This episode of Pop Culture Affidavit is brought to you by the Human Fund. Money for people. Many Christmases ago, I went to buy a doll for my son. I reached for the last one they had, but so did another man. As I rained blows upon him, I realized there had to be another way. What happened to the doll? It was destroyed. But out of that, a new holiday was born. A Festivus for the rest of us! Pop Culture Affidavit, episode 83, Festivus 2017. Hello and welcome to episode 83 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and it is that time of year again. That's right, it's time for all of us to set up our aluminum poles, air our grievances, and best one another in feats of strength. Festivus is here! Now... If you remember last year, Michael Bailey and I sat down and did an episode about Festivus, and we celebrated in a way that only two podcasters can, which is complaining about what has been driving us crazy in comics and popular culture, as well as reading and discussing all of the first Brigade miniseries. And I had so much fun that I decided to make this an annual event. Yes, people, it is a Festivus miracle, because once again, I have a fellow podcaster on to gripe and then talk about bad comics. A podcaster who has been on the show a couple of times before, and not only has his own show, but his own network. Please welcome the patriarch of the Relatively Geeky Network and uh, U.S. Ambassador to Latveria, Professor Allen. Sorry, it's not M. It's just Allen. Sorry. I know you give such a build-up to the network that everyone's disappointed that it's just me. I think talk I about think grievances. We'll okay. Yeah, have listeners with grievances now. <laughs> I think we'll all be okay. Emily's hard to get, you know. I know, I know. Kids these days. Mm-hmm. She's got that that entourage and all these clearances. <laughs> Publicist makes it really hard. Yeah, it's, I and honestly, I can't afford her the speaking fee. So, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> so, how are you doing? I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're both hitting the end of a semester. Hey, how about that? <laughs> Feels good. Fun, it? You know, this time of season, I always tell my students the same bad joke when I'm handing out the final exams. I remind them it is better to give than to receive. <laughs> it is true with final exams. I rarely, I rarely make my students laugh. Although the other day we were going over multiple choice stuff for the EP, 
and I was going over like tips and tricks and how is this question worded and how do you approach this type of question and that sort of stuff. And I said, I'm not going to tell you that the college board is out to get you, but the college board is out to get you. And they actually laughed at that because they've all taken AP exams. And one of my, one of my students said, I want to be the generation that takes down the college board. And I was like, yes. <laughs> it was like, please, somebody. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm, 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 I'm glad to be, uh, to be, I'm, I hit Christmas break. Um, as of recording this, um, I'm a few days away from Christmas break myself, but, yep. um, we've had snow in the air here. You, we had about an inch or two last weekend. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Now this comes out on, this is going to come out on Festivus. Um, this is going to come out on December 23rd. Um, and I'm not going to um, get into a ton of background on Festivus because it was well covered in last year's episode. So if you, if anybody around here hasn't given that one a listen, I recommend going back and listening to it because Mike and I really, really did have a great time. I listened to it um, in prep for this episode. Um, I will give you an overview of the holiday, which was made popular in an episode of uh, the 1990 sitcom Seinfeld. In that episode, it's revealed that many Christmases in the past, Frank Costanza got into fisticuffs with another person over a doll he wanted to buy for his son, George. And as he rained blows upon him, he realized that there had to be another way, and thus a new holiday was born, a Festivus for the rest of us. Celebrated on December 23rd, Festivus is when the family sits around the holiday's official symbol, an aluminum pole, and participates in two specific activities, the airing of grievances and the feats of strength. And just like Mike and I did last year, Alan and I are going to do exactly that. And we're going to do it right after this. So stick around. cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Welcome, newcomers. <laughs> the tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it.
So Festivus always begins with the airing of grievances, and while traditionally that has been directed at the gathered members of the family, on this show... <laughs> Tom, I've got a few things to say. <laughs> oh, wait, did I misinterpret? <laughs> Stella's not here. Um, <laughs> neither is Shaq. <laughs> But um, we anyway. So on this show, we direct our ire at things in popular culture, uh, the internet, or fandom that have been driving us crazy uh, this year. And uh, as with last year, Alan and I have tried to keep it as politics-free as possible, unless it directly applies to our topics. Although not current events-free. No, no. We 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 allow current events, but we try to we try to keep it within the realm of. Uh, popular culture in the entertainment industry, etc., etc. And we've each come up with two grievances. Alan is the guest, um, so I'm going to be polite, and I'm going to let him go first. So, Alan, please, your first grievance. Why did it take DC Comics so long to fire Eddie Braganza? Yes. You know, I didn't know about Kevin Spacey being a serial harasser, or Louis C.K. being a total weirdo. I, I didn't know about John Conyers having staff meetings in his underwear. You. I didn't know that Matt Lauer had a button on his desk. I heard the door when he met with interns. I'd heard rumors of him cheating on his wife though, for yeah. years, so I wasn't surprised by Matt Lauer. But I did know about the Eddie Braganza stuff because those came out maybe last summer mm-hmm. during like during con season, I guess. Those are the topic of con behavior. Yeah. Arose from mostly from con attendees and the cosplay is not consent, you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, topic. And then the behavior of some professionals on panels as well. And, you know, those events motivated a number of females in the profession to talk about this boorish convention behavior and that, that it sort of spoke to the industry as a whole. Yeah. And there were claims of an editor. Who was being protected by the company for many, many claims of harassment and other I don't know, problematics, the, I guess the buzzword problematic behavior. Yeah, and, that's what they're calling it these days. Yeah, and I, and I, I can't even remember who it was that actually you know, tweeted or Facebooked out that it was Eddie Braganza, was the guy that everyone was talking about. Mm. That DC had knew about his behavior you know, for years, and they had even made arrangements just to make sure he didn't interact with females, you know that 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 was their version of of handling it. Um, but why did it take so long? Why did it take so long? I don't know, especially when the the cosplay is not consent um, as a phrase, as a rallying cry, as we're, whatever you want to call it. That's not new. That's we started hearing yeah, that three or yeah, four we, years ago. It's 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 been swirling around yeah. the industry for a number of years. Because we've heard about because um, there were stories coming out of places like San Diego and New York. Um, I want to say back as like mm-hmm. as far back as like three, four, or five years ago about um, women cosplayers being harassed, um, if not by creators, then by just by other uh, attendees, male attendees, right? And and kind of creating saying, hey. We need to create an environment on the floor of this convention hall that is safe for anybody. Yeah, yeah that's been in the air for a number of years. Yeah. And then I, 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 I think some, you know, some bad panel panelist behavior, mm-hmm. and in some of the professionals, I think, 
did a few things they shouldn't have as well. I think that's what sort of brought it to the surface. But again, I, I'd heard that name specifically. What would that have been a year and a half ago? I I heard uh, that at, too, actually. At yeah. least, yeah. You know, and 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 not a sort of general. They're somebody or they're people, but a named a named individual. I think you know there is a comparison between the comics industry and and the movie industry, and that's you know the many of the people who would have interacted with Braganza, and we can say Harvey Weinstein too, were freelancers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're tech, technically not employees, and therefore they wouldn't be protected by the HR department. This of DC true. or of Warner or of whatever you know, whatever uh, movie studio it 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 would have been. Yeah. And it's easier for if we're just keeping it in uh, DC and freelance writers or artists. It's easier for them to dis try to discredit or dismiss any claims on the part of that freelancer, and then walk away because there's no formal HR thing. You know, there's right. You know, not, not not that it's right. It's just it's if you think about the logistics of what they you know what it takes to to fight. You know, if somebody comes to HR, oh yeah. If you were if somebody came to HR or you or I went to HR about something in our perspective um, workplaces, we'd have some leverage. There's a process. Yeah, because we're because we are employees of the company and we are you know mm-hmm. we're, um, but yeah with with freelancing it's it's. It's essentially contract work, and there are ways for DC to um, get around any any legal mm-hmm. issues there and and sweep it under the rug and move on to the next uh, the next thing. And and you know obviously I'm not uh, I'm not such a conspiracy theorist uh, you know to think that it was, it was set up that way, but there were guys like like Weinstein and Briggs and many many others I'm sure who recognized that little loophole. Mm-hmm. And exploited it uh, yeah. to whatever extent they could. And in terms of, of again, there's sort of these, these weird, weird uh, uh, comparisons. In that the uh, the editor, one of the things they do is hire the writers and the you know match make writers and artists. Mm-hmm. And and so someone like like a Braganza, similar to a Weinstein, has some real power. Over the careers of a bunch of comics creators, mm-hmm. and if you're in that position, you either, you know, go along with some kind of harassment. Understand that's part of the price you have to pay. Uh, you just don't raise a fuss because you want to get work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you really are, uh, you know, out there and 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 unprotected. Yeah, and the pressure to keep silent. I believe um, can be great because if you're really trying to solely support yourself on a freelance, but with freelance work, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and you're not of the level of a John Byrne or a Chris Claremont or a George Perez or somebody who who has made enough right. that they that they make money. You know, of commissions and right. covers and things. There is a lot of pressure to just keep your mouth shut because you could get informally blacklisted. Mm-hmm. There is of, a weird comparison to casting. Yeah, to yeah. that to, to that casting process. <clears throat> yeah, 
and and you become you become um, poison. Box office and, poison is the right phrase. Yeah, you, you, become, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the uh, you know we I've, I've sort of used this analogy or this 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 idea before in terms of of, of, of other you know, areas, but we call DC and Marvel the big two. Mm-hmm. But comparatively, they are really small companies. Yeah. You know, now they're really small divisions of really big companies, but they're really small. And there's a pretty small number of editors. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, you know, group editors or whatever it would be, that's a handful, maybe a dozen. And it's a really small industry. Everyone knows each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would think if you get a bad reputation, you know, it's not just that you might not be able to work for editor editor A, Braganza, but you might not be able to work for editors B, C, D, and E either. Mm-hmm. Either the company or his buddies, or he'll put out the, as you said, the informal, the informal, uh, you know, blacklist on somebody, or X X creator, kind of hard to work with, you know. Yeah, yeah. They, they you, know, you, you just have to drop that a couple of times yeah. at a con, you know, privately or whatever, and yeah, the freelance work dries up. And then, as you said, then where are you? Yeah, and com- even the comics industry itself really doesn't make mainstream press very often. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Even because like the movies are covered in the Hollywood press, and the movies themselves are still a different beast than the comics, and the comics press is very small. And mm-hmm. that is a case where somebody could, if somebody went to the comics press, and I, and I know I'm thinking kind of conspiratorially here, but the comics press might turn around and bury the story or underreport it for fear of retribution from the company that right. DC or Marvel will limit certain access. Because if you look at um, some of the bigger entertainment and comics websites out there like CBR and, and uh, Newsarama and um, uh, what was that pig Harry Knowles involved with? <laughs> He's another one. I was so happy to see him go down. Um, what was he involved with? What was the name of it? Bleeding Cool? Right. Okay. Yeah. DC or Marvel could turn around and be like, you know, they're basically those com- those those sites are half the time they're basically hype sites anyway. Right. So they're like free PR for for the um, for the companies, and they could turn off the tap for that. And those those sites are are kind of left hanging. So and I and I don't again, know if they ever I did this, think, but you know that's a possibility. I do think there's a comparison there again too. To Hollywood and that the entertainment press mm-hmm. lar- largely is promotional, um, and it, it is about having access to the movie stars. Um, and you know they're they're film critics, but they're they're different than the than the entertainment reporters. Yeah, you know those are those those parts of the house are are kept are, are you know kept separate. So the fact that whenever we get one of these stories. Whether it's from Hollywood or any other industry, that gets you angry. Mm-hmm. But the bigger, the the to me the more angering part is, you know, everyone sort of knew about this. Yeah, 
you know, when you get that story, when you get, yeah, you know, we sort of knew about this for about a, a decade about yeah, there have been you know, rumors for filmmaker years. X or yeah. exactly, and what, you know, where's the there's is there not an investigative journalist in Hollywood? I think the answer is no. I think the answer is they largely yeah. do interviews and print press releases. Yeah, well, the tough thing too is that. Um there have been rumors about other stars and a particular certain directors for many, many oh, years. Oh, yes. Yep. But it's all blind items. And the tough thing, especially in that town, is probably that if you do not have somebody who is A or B list enough to go on the record, right. the story yeah. isn't going to, it's not, the story is not, is going to be, um, a damp squib or whatever whatever mm-hmm. metaphor you right. want to use. Right. So when people who were, I, I think there was a story, I think it was Selma Hayek the other day, yep. um, was was in the news the other day regarding Weinstein. When people on that level who are, who are household names start coming out and saying what we've heard, the the mainstream press picks it up because for some reason their their star power equals credibility equals Oh, this actually happened. Whereas some twenty-two, twenty-three-year-old um, ingenue who had to, you know, who maybe like right. Anne Hathaway when she was in her early twenties, sort of, or or somebody of that nature comes out with something like this, that can be that can be quieted pretty quickly. And then, and then it becomes rumors for years. And then, but I agree with you. There, there should be a number of people, and and I think the public in general should be pretty just embarrassed and ashamed on some level that they did ignore this for yeah way I mean, longer. I mean, the, who broke the Bill Cosby story? A stand-up comic mm-hmm. basically broke broke that story, right? Yeah. And who who's to some extent breaking the Eddie Braganza story, it's, it's, it was, you know, folks at a convention finally mm-hmm. getting fed up, you know, professionals. Yeah. In other words, where were the investigators? Where was the, you know, where was, where was that side of the business? Where are the crime reporters, investigative reporters, yeah. business journalists? Someone else should be breaking these stories. Well, this is the this is the frustrating thing about journalism in general that that a lot of it has to become such PR and hype and and that and the the I think the other problem with investigative journalism is that good investigative journalism takes a long time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but but editors and more more importantly their companies the companies running them need hits they need eyeballs they need right. they're so thirsty to get the story out that they won't be pa- the, the patience is wearing very very thin um you know uh just i'm not trying to bring politics into it but watergate took a couple of years to really or a, mm-hmm. a long time to really get to what it became, you know, where it started with a botched robbery. And I mean, <laughs> I covered all the president's men last year, <laughs> but I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It took Watergate took time. And I like Iran Contra and like some of the other political standards we've seen, even though, even the Lewinsky thing in the nineties, um, where there have been rumors dogging Bill Clinton for years, that took time. And then when that bombshell came out and that, and that, 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 brood and 
it's easy in those in those beginning stages to quash an investigation because nobody's nobody's looking for it. Right. You know, nobody's looking for you to drop the bombshell because a lot of you know your typical audience outside of Hollywood or New York or wherever you or Washington or wherever you happen to be isn't paying attention to these things. And it really hasn't, maybe it hasn't heard the rumors. If they heard the rumors, they're like, oh, whatever, this is tabloid TMZ inquirer crap. So nobody's waiting on this story, and therefore it becomes easier for the, for the, for corporate to silence it. And that's, and that, that's where, where I get frustrated in hearing, like, you know, how, how, what should be, you know, you standing up for somebody because they were, they were traumatized because of something abhorrent and you're looking at your bottom line and you're looking at like you know your star talent here and saying well no we can't we can't do that it's like you've been replacing actresses in hollywood for decades you can do without a few actors you know like ah yeah i mean so you know in 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 dc's case sort of Bring it back around. I mean, I'm glad oh, yeah, they yeah, got yeah. around to it. I'm glad they got around to it. Getting uh, to getting rid of this predator editor. Mm-hmm. But why did it take so long? That's the grievance. I That's know. the grievance. And I have to wonder if there's anybody else in the comics industry. Um, you know, any big name? Because Berganza was Berganza was not the name recognition on the same level as a, a Bendis. Or a Palmiati, or a Casada, or a Jeff Johns, or or any of the, you know, you had, yeah, you had to really dig deep on the uh, on the on the credits page yeah. and have a good memory, if you, you were, know, to sort of recognize where you've seen that name before. Yeah, if you were a DC regular, you probably recognized the name, mm-hmm. but but he was not, you know, but but again, it was, but it was one of those things where, you're right, it. I I'd started hearing rumors probably around the same time you did and you know I'm I'm hoping this does lead to more f- especially freelance talent in the industry not being afraid to say something when they have an interaction like the ones you know that they describe right. yeah, mm-hmm. that they Nobody should have to go through that in order to get a job. All right, so shall I move on to mine, which is a little less political and a little more because uh, my 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 current events one I'm saving for my second one. This one there is just go. this one is just me. This one this one is a get off my lawn thing. Okay, please stop. Please stop throwing away your physical media, and then bitching about. Why you can't stream every movie on Netflix? <laughs> I, I, I'm not a hoarder. I, I that's, do. That's good. That's I, good. I do have some VHS tapes left over because I never updated them in a format like DVD or anything, um, or that they're not available on any other format. So I, I hold on to them. Um, I still, I still have. I still buy DVDs um, or Blu-rays. Sometimes I will just buy the DVD because it's five dollars. And I'm like, it's. There are some under the Christmas tree right now. Some physical media here, here at the, uh, yeah. the, the here at the uh, 
professorial domain. Yeah, I, I glance over and I've got a couple of shelves of DVDs and a, and a case of DVDs. And um, I have I have CDs. I haven't bought a CD in years. Yeah, but um, I do still have my CDs. I have I have some records, um, and I do stream things. You know, I, I I watch things on Netflix and Hulu, and I'm curious about Filmstruck, but I don't know if I want to. Um, I don't know if I want to take that dive yet because I, I have to yeah. see how much time I have, and um, and I all stream stuff on Prime, and. Um, I buy ebooks, but I or I or I'll check ebooks out of the library. But I also check physical books out of the library. I'm one of those people who my my and my philosophy is if it's cheap and or free, and I'm really interested, I'll, I'll take it no matter what the format. But it's like mm-hmm. keep your format variety because a you're like you're cutting off your nose to spite your face with this. You're like, well, oh, no, I can't watch, you know. Because I can't watch this movie anymore. It's like you could have if you didn't get rid of it. Um, <laughs> and, and somebody, and I've got to be honest, somebody, uh, I, I retweeted this the other day. And I wrote it down in my notes because it was great. It was uh, The tweet was by somebody named Benedict Evans. He said, the Netflix movie selection feels like Blockbuster at 9 on a Friday night when you walked around the store three times ended up and ended up taking Die Hard 4. There must be an opportunity here somewhere. Somewhere, and he's right. I mean, the Netflix movie selection is is, is god awful now. If you're streaming only, if you're if you still have a DVD subscription mm-hmm. like I do, right. it's really good. Prime um, has more available for streaming, and some of it though you have to rent for about maybe some. They they range in price. Sometimes you get them for about three, maybe four or five dollars. And I was renting something the other night. And I was like, oh, I got to rent this. But then I realized that I pay for the Prime membership, but I get a lot of different benefits than just movies. Like, I get right. free shipping. Right. You know, so the Prime, in the free shipping, the Prime membership pays for itself. Right. Two, $3 to rent a movie is about what I would hold on to and ride my bike up to the video store with when I was a kid. <laughs> In like junior high, I'm like, wow, that's actually like. I think by the time it was done, Blockbuster was about four ninety nine a rental for a new movie, maybe even more. And so, if I rent the, the occasional movie where I'm paying like three bucks for it, like I spend more than that, like going out to lunch. So it's like, all right, that's not that big of a deal. But it's just, and the other thing is, and this is, this but is if a, you own it. <laughs> You can watch it whenever. Exactly. That's the other thing. If I own it, I can watch it whenever. And if I don't own it, I can, and I want to look it up, like, I should be, you know, I should either be patient to find it, you know, if it's not available at the ready, or be willing to pay for it. But the other thing I don't want people to do, and this is something I've said, I've said this time and time again, do not put everything in the hands of the content provider. Because (laughs) they are not in the position to serve you. They are in the position to make money off of you. And if they decide that they're going to cut back on content or certain movies or TV shows so they can push something else that they want you to do, buy, they will do that. <laughs> so don't, don't like, you know, stream all you want. Just don't throw yourself at the mercy of streaming services that are going to keep changing and upping their prices and right. Taking movies away from you, and then you turn around and complain about this. It's like you did this to yourself. So that's my if, old man. If, 
I like it. If if you're and if you're currently, you know, say, paying for five streaming services, mm-hmm. just a uh, law of business averages in five years, one of them will have gone out of business. Probably Hulu. And yeah, and there's a chunk of stuff you won't have access to. In fact, I'm I'm considering dropping Hulu, but because I haven't used it in God knows how long. So <laughs> you know, Netflix, Netflix, I'm holding on to. We watch plenty of things on Netflix that it justifies mm-hmm. the the money I pay for, it, even right. though their rates are going up. Um, Prime, I will hold on to because, like I said, that that's that. There are other things with that. Their yeah. model for that is really, really important. Is really good. Yeah, the the other things that come with it pay for the pay for everything else. Yeah, I just and and for God's sake, like check out the selection at your local library. <laughs> like, I I've read I, more graphic. I have novels. to tell you, I, oh, are you kidding me? Of course. Yeah, I uh, I have to tell you this story. Okay. And it's secondhand. I mean, it's it's an Emily story <laughs> from her job at the library, but she had a a. Patron, I believe, was younger than younger than she was, so early early twenty. Came in and just looking around and signed up. So, you know, I needed to sign up for my library card. Yeah, and asked her first how much was the annual fee, which is zero, <laughs> and then asked how much how much do things cost? Uh, free? <laughs> no, like the movies? Yeah, but. You, you, but how? How? But how do you? How, you just have to bring them back, and then you can get more. But how do you guys make money? Uh, taxpayers. <laughs> it's a public free. I mean, just like I mean, I mean, we're sitting here. I know. I believe your age starts with a four now. Yes. It does. Mine starts with a five. Mm-hmm. Mine starts with a five. Maybe we take for granted that people don't know that their public libraries are freaking free. Everything in there is free. Maybe they don't know that. I'm confused. That interaction totally built Emily. <laughs> that someone thought there were fees and charges and rentals and borrowing thing. I mean, I guess they're just used to a life where you stream something. There's a monthly fee for this and a fee for that and the concept of the free public library went over their heads. So maybe whenever we say check out your public library, maybe we should just say check out your free public library. Yeah. I just just I, to emphasize that fact. Yeah. I, I've um I I haven't rented a lot of movies from my library. Probably should get on that more. I but I mean book wise and we've you and I have had this exact conversation about books where Again, it's one of those things. If it's free and and I and it's available, like you know, I say go for it. And I just, I it it gets really frustrating to. It does get really frustrating to turn on Netflix, and I'm like trying to think of like I don't feel like watching a show. I'd rather watch a movie tonight. Mm-hmm. And nothing that I have right now is really you know turning me on. Let's see what's on Netflix, and it mm. is frustrating that nothing is there. <laughs> like there's yeah. it's recent stuff it's almost like flipping like I'd have better chance with basic cable half the time and like yeah. so Netflix really does need to watch itself because there will come mm-hmm. a point where their television programming like the bubble will burst on that or it will start to slide in quality to the point where people 
won't. I mean, there's already shows that they have to cancel because not every show they put out is an event anymore. Right. Well, this this might be a perfect segue into mine number two. Ooh, yes. Which is also a topic for the get off my lawn cast. <laughs> there's two. It's 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 actually almost the opposite of yours, but there's a relation here. And that there's too much comic book stuff. There's too much geeky stuff on TV. How am I supposed to watch all these shows that are made for me? There's too much to watch, and here's where I get old. There are too many different places to watch that stuff. You know, and a lot of it's really good. That's that's sort of the the, the good bad thing too. Like I know I'm missing I know I'm missing something good by not watching X show or not being caught up on so and so. But I mean CW, ABC, Fox, they've all got pretty good stuff on them. And that's a reasonable number of sources at my advanced age. <laughs> I don't need a million different places to try to find uh, my stories. Look, you mentioned, I mean, net, net, Netflix, of course. He said <laughs> Netflix has it has some really good Marvel stuff, and it also has Iron Fist. I'm. It's too much to keep up with. I'm. I'm. I'm going to say two things. A. Amen. B. Don't worry about yourself. You're about probably about a decade away from being handled handed a Nielsen ratings diary <laughs> and a remote control that only seems to tune you into CBS. Hallmark Channel, baby. And I'm Hallmark ready. Channel. I'm ready. I am ready. And uh, and and just hours upon hours upon hours of police procedurals. So you'll be set. Um, but no, I know you're right. It's it's it, here's the other thing. It's the other thing I want to add to this. You don't score more points than me in some weird competition we you think we have because I haven't watched Iron Fist in 48 hours. In fact, I've never watched an episode of Iron Fist. I've never seen an episode of Gotham. I watched one episode of Jessica Jones and really liked it, but I was like, well, this is a little too intense. I don't feel like watching this and never really came back to it. I haven't seen Daredevil. Haven't seen The Punisher. I am four Marvel movies behind, okay? I lose. Please stop... <laughs> thinking that you're keeping score like that's the other thing that's driving me nuts yeah this well, is that a is related to it i mean that is related to there being so much stuff yeah it isn't i mean and you know there are too many channels and websites or apps or widgets or whatever you kids call this stuff yeah. what what is a free form i don't know do i even have hulu i i i don't know i, I can't keep up in my, said, in my day, on- Freeform was ABC Family. <laughs> and what does an what does an online bookseller or a gaming platform have to do with creating content anyway? <laughs> but the problem is, a lot of it really is good. Mm-hmm. I've liked a lot of what I've watched, and I've watched Iron Fist also. But yeah. I've liked most of what I've watched. I don't buy Agents of Shield. Is okay. It comes and goes. I like the 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 the. The CW verse is pretty good. They had a really good crossover. I haven't this watched Arrow in a number of year. years, but yeah. I and I, I gave up on Legend tomorrow. Um, I am like two or three episodes behind on the Flash before the crossover, and I have the crossover on my DVR, so I'm going to get to that. <laughs> and I'm I'm, behind, I'm way behind on Supergirl, but I was like, you know what? I really want to watch this crossover, so I'll just watch the Flash up to then, and then I'll just watch the crossover and you know catch up on yep. uh, go to the back issue bins for the rest of Supergirl, basically. Black Lightning's coming out. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. 
Yeah, here's the funny thing. Actually, you'll you'll laugh at this. Um, the thing that actually got me got got my hackles up about this sort of I watched all of this. Oh, you know, this sort of like points keeping, <laughs> right? You know what it was? It was Ken Burns and Lynn Novick's Vietnam War documentary. That thing is like a day and a half long. And they're like, oh, I watched the whole thing. And I'm like, when the hell did you have time? I'm on like episode four or five. I watch it in like little chunks. If you haven't seen it, by the way, it's amazing. It's fascinating. And I'm watching it because at some point later on in the later episodes of In Country, I'm going to talk about it. But even if I wasn't watching it for the sake of a podcast, I'd still watch it. But look. I learned my lesson for baseball. You have to take Ken Burns. If a long-form Ken Burns documentary, you take that thing in small doses. And to tell me you watched it in a weekend, you're either a liar or you need to check for bed sores because you didn't get up. (laughs) And and and, and I'm like, A, and three, you don't get a gold star for that. (laughs) You get like a weird look from me like, really? And you're bragging to me about that? You're trying to put me down with that? But yeah, Black Lightning. (laughs) Um, The Titans, here's the other thing. We're so saturated with stuff that it's actually starting to turn me off to some of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really ambivalent to this Titan series. I should be, like, really pumped about this. The Teen Titans, the new Titans, the new Teen Titans. That, that's that my your thing. That's my favorite yeah. comic book of all time. I'm, like, Whatever. I'm like I'm if I can if I can catch an episode or two I might watch it but like I just I don't I don't know I'm just like meh you know yeah and there's so much stuff on so many different different platforms and and and, and places I was slightly exaggerating uh, in oh yeah <laughs> in my grievance but is has Runaway started? Is that on Hulu? Is it every week? Do it's, they dump it all at uh, once? Like, I know. I, 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 I honestly don't know, but I'm really curious. I want to. It is on Hulu because when I last time I opened up Hulu to look for something, I saw and oh, it go. was on the home screen. I want to say it's available, but I don't know if it's all available in all one <laughs> yeah, chunk. Right, yeah, there was an actually. This ties into something too. There was an article in. Um, something I was flipping through the Washington Post might have been Entertainment Weekly or something about um, how maybe this whole thing of dumping an entire season at once is not the best idea because people consume it like because they're all meant for binge watching and people consume them so quickly (laughs) that unless you're going to Unless you're gonna like um, release them on a certain like regular cycle, um, they don't become as water cooler shows as you possibly would like. Like like right. Game of Thrones, for instance. Game of Thrones comes out week to week, and Mad Men came out from week to week, and Breaking Bad, and and you know, and a lot of the shows you think back in the last decade or so, like a lot of the talked about shows and constantly talked about shows were week to week shows, and there are shows that have that sort of staying power like I think Stranger Things at least over the last couple of years people still mm-hmm. will talk about right. that and mm-hmm. when you hear about the new thing the new season people are going to get like really really pumped up about that but I can see that being um, detrimental to some of the shows in that 
you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see some of the figures, like, as we go down the line of, like, you know, you watched the first episode, but you didn't watch the last three, mm-hmm. you right. know, and you never got around to them. Would it be the same way that a, a, a season or show's viewership falls off over the course of a season? Because they've gotten distracted by a lot of other, <laughs> a lot of other things. Right, but but e- e- even in terms of things like like you said, you know, buzz or mm-hmm. online uh, a- a- excitement, you know, however you want to a term that, or even however yeah. you want to mention it, I would think having that thirteen weeks in a row mm-hmm. is a better hit than having it for one weekend. Yeah, especially when you, you when everything gets released, you know, and maybe you know, you know, you might whatever the show is or the thing is, you might dominate for you no know, ninety six hours. Yeah, but you're not, you know, there's there's not that uh, that that staying power that there would be that that there is with, you know, I, I to some extent I started with Lost. I think was sort of the real first mm-hmm. really buzzy social media yeah. uh, version of uh, uh, version of that. But whether it's Walking Dead or or uh, all the ones you mentioned, you know, Game of Thrones right now, you know, tops that chart mm-hmm. in terms of of everyone. There's something about the majority of your people watching it at the same time, that episode, and that's what you don't control with yeah. with the streaming. Well, and I think that um, when you're talking about how there's like way too much on at once and way too much available, um, I think we're also seeing that in sports as well. Um, the NFL, there's a Thursday night game going on right now, and Oof, um, it's tough. It's Indianapolis and Denver, I think. Um, and back back in our day, um, the Thursday night football would start at Thanksgiving, and then it would run more or less to the end of the season. Right. Um, what would that be, the last five weeks, maybe? Yeah, like the last four or five weeks. And now it's all season, and then there's Monday night, so you get two nights a week without football. And it's there's too. It's almost like there's too. Like you're right. There's too much, and there's too much um, availability of like a very different games through packages and things. Whereas, so you're not getting that. Yeah, you're 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 pulled in a lot of different directions. Baseball and other sports can be the same way, but yeah, you're right. It's just when you're being pulled in so many different directions, and there's so much that you have to um, keep up with. Th- you do some start, things have to drop. Some, some things, things have, have to, drop to drop, or you burn yourself out. And those of us who and and let me say, if if when you do get burned out, you tend not to come back. Yeah. You, you tend to be like you sound like you are with the Marvel Netflix shows, mm-hmm. and then you get so far behind. Yeah, and, and I mean, again, it's it's uh, to some extent, it's like uh, we talked about that with this with comic books. I think it was it was great in the in the DC Rebirth. That they were double shipping some books. You know, Marvel's mm-hmm. been doing that for a number of years too. The problem is, if you get three months behind, it's six issues behind. Yeah, I'm, and I'm, and you, and you can fall behind that much quicker. And there's, then there's the temptation of, I'm not I'm never going to get caught up. Let's just stop. Yeah, and, I'll stop at a good round number, or at the end of an arc, or at the end of a season. You know, whatever yeah. the whatever the context is. Yeah, and, and I think with the movies, it's a little easier to get yourself caught up because, right. um. For Infinity War, I you know there's like there's a couple of movies I'm behind on. If I want to watch all of them, I will. If I want to watch a couple of them, I will. But for the most part, 
you know, I going into Infinity War, having seen at least a number of the movies, I can pick up where I want to. And, to be honest with you, as formulaic as some of them have started to become, you can go into one of those movies having a good idea, like having very little idea of what came in the movies before it and get caught up enough to enjoy the movie. Right. And I'm not getting that with some of the television shows. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Uh, um, also thinking about sort of the the total total commitment, you know, uh, time time commitment. Mm-hmm. And if we think of Star a, uh, Star Wars, mm-hmm. they're doing a movie every year. Mm. So what they're asking of me is three hours of my time a year. Maybe six if it's really good, right? And I want to go back. Uh, what the Marvel movies are asking is more like maybe eight or ten hours a year. If they do, they say three movies, so it would yeah. eight eight hours, seven eight hours. Yeah. Marvel on Netflix is asking almost forty hours a year. If they're dropping three, thirteen, you know, part series every year. And if you want to add Agents of Shield to that. Yeah, and then if you want to throw CBC, in a, but yeah, yeah, but a but you're right, a regular network one one show, one show is twenty hours roughly. The CW verse, the Arrowverse, is eighty hours a year. Well, that's the other thing. That's a lot. That's a heavy commitment. So, if you've got something big on the level of a Stranger Things, and you're Netflix, now I'm not saying that I would want them to to you know maybe they don't do Stranger Things from week to week, but the networks are still stuck in their model of the half-season yeah. order and then the full-season order. The full-season order is like 20-something episodes, where there are episodes, there are entire episodes of The Flash that if you're only following the season-long arc, you either don't need the episode at all or you need just a few minutes right. because it's a Villain of the Week story. Now, I happen to like Villain of the Week stories. You know, I, I find them fun, and it's you know because again, I've been watching television way longer than you know, um, than than this sort of season long arc idea has been around. Um, but you've got an advantage over the net the networks in that some of these shows, because their seasons are so small, are actually in an advantage because it's easy for me to commit to, what was it, eight or nine episodes of Stranger Things and 13 episodes of House of Cards, and Amanda and I are working our way through The Americans, and that's about 12 or 13 Mm -hmm. episodes a season. That's an easy season commitment to make, as opposed to watching all 24 episodes of a season just to get to an ending that's a cliffhanger, and it still doesn't feel as satisfying as it could. And it's another speedster. Oh, sorry, that's Flash. What? Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, great. <laughs> the villain is another evil speedster. Oh, gee, great, awesome. What'd you screw up now, Barry? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that should be the theme, exactly. <laughs> Just like, I want, like, you want Christopher Lloyd to come out and be like, Barry, what are you doing? You're like... <laughs> Bust out the blackboard from Back to the Future 2 and then just like start beating him with it because, like. <laughs> and I thought, like, again, and that's the other thing, pun not intended, th- the last couple of seasons of The Flash have run out of steam at some point 
Where yeah. they, they kind of ramped themselves back up as we got into the finale, but like if you were able to cut like it was a bit of a lull in some of these. Yeah, if you were able to cut some of those seasons down, and I know people, there are people in Hollywood who depend on their livelihood for this, but at the same time, like I don't know, I just think it would be, it would be, or 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 have a full season, but have like take advantage of the fact that we've had mid-season finales for the last two years, and do a story arc, and have the story arc end. And then pick that's up another sort of story agents, arc in the spring. That's sort of what Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did last year. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liked it conceptually. You had X number of issues about Ghost Rider, mm-hmm. X number of issues about LMDs, and X number of issues about something else. And I kind of like, you know, that's a that's an interesting approach to it. It's almost like writing for the trade. Yeah, that's okay. Almost like writing okay. for the trade. But yeah. yeah, you're right. It's just, it's becoming, it's becoming a lot to take, to keep track of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but I was, when I was younger and in high school and in college and really wasn't as committed to a lot of things in my life as I was, you know, as I am now where I didn't have resp- adult responsibilities, <laughs> I could a go to the movies all the time and watch all this TV and keep, and, and B keep track of the continuity and everything yeah i sit down and watch a show now i can tell you maybe the main story but i within a week or two like i don't remember a damn thing like i'll go on like a recap uh-huh. site like previous right. tv when i see right. something on the americans i'm like when the hell was that and i go back to the like three episodes earlier i'm like oh yeah. oh because I just, it's just, it's in and out of my mind because it's like, it's, to me, it's television's escapist entertainment. And I'm like, I'm really entertained. I'm really enjoying this. And like, I think about it and my wife and I all discuss it and everything, but we won't sit there and like nitpick details and we don't go over continuity and things like that because I honestly don't have the time for that anymore. Even in comic books, <laughs> I don't have the time for it anymore. And again, you're not scoring points on me because you know more about Batman continuity than I do. Batman fans who email me every time I cover a Batman issue. Well, actually, Tom, yeah. is that is, is 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 that how the emails start? Pretty much. Well, actually, Tom. <laughs> well, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, and this is where the finding your joy mantra does come in helpfully. Um, my my confusion lately has been, or my. My stress lately has been, what if it's the thing, what if your joy is the thing that's stressing you out because there's too much of the stuff that you like out there? There's some truth to that. You know? Like, it, I can't, always... I can't Tony Montana popular culture all the time. <laughs> I can do a line, it, not the whole table. <laughs> it is kind of weird sometimes where you have that feeling of, even if it's something you really enjoy, it's a, a, a TV show, a podcast, or something, and they and you real you recognize that it's off that week. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's a repeat, or something else is on, or you know they're not going to do an episode this week, and you think that frees up an hour of my time. Yeah, even if it's something you really like, right? But it, you know, it's like oh, there's not a new flash this week. What a relief! But I like it. But it's a relief to have a break. Yeah, yeah. Or and, because and, it could be unrelenting. Twenty two, twenty four, whatever it is. It can... Yeah, especially if it's a drama that relies on suspense. 
Um, oh, yeah. Amanda and I watch Riverdale, and mm-hmm. they had their mid-season finale last night. And there were bits and pieces of us where we were like, and she was thinking, oh, I gotta wait until the middle of January. But at the same time, it's like you're kind of glad you have to wait. You're like, right, right. You know, you you think about it a little bit. You're like, oh, and, and it comes back, and you're like, oh yeah, I get to find out, and hopefully it's you know satisfying. And <laughs> and they actually did a Twin Peaks riff in that episode. Mm-hmm. It made me so happy <laughs> when they had the bad guy climbing over the sofa. Yeah, was it in Betty's dream? That is right out of Twin Peaks. Yeah, they had a. And no- since they're going for that vibe, and they have at, at least one actor, actress from Twin Peaks on the show, mm-hmm. and that's clearly an inspiration. I love where they had an actual, actual uh, uh, reference to it. I liked it. I like that, and this is the tangent, but I like that they're hiring so many soap opera people for these things. It, sure. Like, Mark Consuelos um, mm-hmm. was on yeah. All My Children. My mother-in-law watched All My Children for, like, decades. And he was, um, he was uh, Mateo on that. He His her, his wife is Kelly Ripa, who was, mm-hmm. um, who was, what the heck was her name? Haley, I think? Or one of, one of Susan Lucci's character's daughter. And, uh, that's, you know, that that's where they made their, their mark. Mm-hmm. But like John Wesley Ship has a long history of soap opera oh, sure. stuff and like that. And Guiding it, it, light, yeah, yeah, and and so that's what the, that, those are my grandmother's stories. And um, these show these shows do lend themselves really like, especially like Riverdale and then the remake of Dynasty, which I heard is awful, but Riverdale loans itself really well to soap opera stuff, mm-hmm. and it's so mm-hmm. much fun that way, you know. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's just that idea that that you know. Give us some breathing room, mm-hmm. and um, you know th- there was. It's almost like the instant gratification culture is really, really starting to take its toll on us older people. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like that's a good way to put it. Like, um, I I had a, a student. I was I was talking about the hero's journey. You know, Joseph Campbell, the monomyth, like that whole thing. I was I was boiling it down to my ninth grade class because we we're about to start the Odyssey, and I was talking, and I put up a a graphic of here's the hero's journey. It was one of those huge like here's the big circle, and this is crossing the threshold, etc. <laughs> and I said, and I looked at it, I said, you know, if you play like a video game like um like one of the Zelda games. I said, I said, I, you know, I said, I said, guys, my my original experiences with like were the original Legend of Zelda. I was nine years old, ten years old. I played the original Legend of Zelda, and you had to beat castles one through eight in order to get through Castle Nine and to defeat Ganon. You had to assemble the Triforce. You had to gather all the things. And I said, if you look at it, it's a hero's journey. You know, like you're building up the thing. And one of my students, goes, one of my students, raised his hands and said, "Well, you can beat that in six minutes." And I looked at him and I said. Well, when I was 10 years old, it took me a few months. And I was telling a former colleague this. She's like, he's full of crap. What is... <laughs> just like... <laughs> but it is that thing of... The video games can be pretty bad. It's like the thing of, here's this video game that is hard. And, you know, it might take uh, me or it might take... I don't t- play a lot of video games now. It might take Brett months to do it. And he might put it down for, like, months and then come pick it up. Right. And then there's that other person, well, I beat it in a day. And it's like, I don't know, like, 
is that an achievement? Is that really an achievement thing? Is this is the thing that we're we're judging ourselves on, like how fast we finish our popular culture? Like, yeah. I, well, I, you know, I've, I, I've never been sucked into that culture of having to see the movie opening night, of having mm-hmm. to see the Netflix show as soon as it comes out, and there, I, I, I think my life is calmer and mellower for it. It more satisfying for for not having to run that that particular rat race. I run plenty wow. of my own, well, but not that one. Yeah, we both graduated from college beer. In college, you drank beer for one reason: <laughs> because you wanted to get plastered, you wanted to get drunk. So you you drank Bud Light, you drank God Ice House, Miller like. Why did you drink it? Because you would go to the store and there would be 30 cans for $15 and you'd have like five or six in a night and you, it'd be, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was college and you graduate and like you're drinking beer that is like, like an IPA, which if you can chug an IPA, more power to you. <laughs> if I chugged an IPA or double IPA, I'd be on the floor <laughs> so you learn to like you've learned to and I'm using alcohol as a metaphor because like between beer and wine I've learned to actually like you know savor what I'm what I have actually enjoy it yeah granted I uh, the latter part of college I was nursing everything I have because I was always the driver and therefore I knew how to stretch two beers over the course of a few hours <laughs> but the point is is like you do start to enjoy it and, and really dig into it a little more and you don't feel like you, you have to go and you have to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and I have to be, get there so that I can join the discussion like I there are episodes of um, podcasts that I haven't listened to specifically because they're talking about a movie that I wanted to see mm-hmm. and I haven't seen it yet but I want to hear what they want to have to say so I'm just going to save the episode and you can do that sure exactly exactly I have, there are people who, I know people who, the, one of the few people who listen to my podcast who don't always listen to the episode when it comes out and they come out later. Like, you know, I, um, you know, I would, uh, the only reason I would finish serial on time was because a friend of mine and I were listening it together <laughs> and we go. would want to make sure that we listened to it so that we could talk about it. But that was whole, the part of the experience. It was never that, you know. I already listened to this and you should, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's just, I think we have to slow our roll a little bit. Um, I am concerned about the amount. I am concerned about the oversaturation. But I'm also concerned about the diluting of brands. And this actually ties into my second thing, which has to do with very current events, of which some people in our community are very excited about. But I'm... I can't tell if I like this or I don't, but I do think that celebrating gargantuan corporate mergers is probably not a good idea. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Uh Everybody's all like, oh man, the X-Men are going to be in the... Look, huge monolithic entertainment companies do not necessarily mean that you're going to like what you get. It could be very watered down you could get more limited choice out of it. Disney probably has the best intention with the properties that it's inheriting, but I can't guarantee that. I can't guarantee that they're going to fire half the people at 20th Century Fox and just use what they want. 
they're under every obligation to basically become Comcast. And it it bothers me because I'm like this because there was a point in the nineties where Disney had this renaissance. You know, with the Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast right, and, sure. and, and it's, mm-hmm. uh, the Lion King, etc. And Disney went from a company that really was, and I don't know if this is conjecture or not. I know I heard this somewhere that for a long time would essentially break even. Like the movie, next movie, kind of just helped the company out, and eventually, you know, they now they were like even bigger and bigger and bigger, and they bought ABC and. They bought ESPN, and it was bigger and bigger and bigger. And the movies, with the exception of Pixar, which wasn't owned by them yet, started to suck again. They were putting out, like, watered-down sequels to things that were direct-to-video. It was becoming this sort of, like... You know, it was it wasn't a joke, but, like, the people forget that the later years under Michael Eisner were... It was oversaturation, and and some people would take it for granted, and other people would be just really, really turned off by the whole idea of Disney. And I I worry that that's going to happen now. Yeah, all your favorite characters are under one roof, but like, we're, are we going to be here like five years from now when the latest X Men movie is once again a total piece of trash, <laughs> and they've diluted the brand to the point? I mean, like. We talk about the 80s a lot on the TTF Podcast Network because a lot of us grew up in the 80s. Or we grew up in the 70s and came of age in the 80s or whatever. A lot of us were there in the 80s and we were seeing um, Empire and Jedi and um, uh, Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones and... Star Trek movies, and then stuff like Goonies, and then even even then you you know um, or the teen stuff, you know your Friday the Thirteenth and your Freddy and um, the John Hughes films and the Karate Kid and all of these movies that came out in the eighties that we love to talk about. And if you look at the studios that make them, some of them were in common. There were a lot of different studios in the eighties competing with one another, and that competition in some cases bred some really good quality. Some of it just bred like you know. Let's pump up, pump out crap to beat the other movie to the box office. I'm looking at you, Golden Globus, but <laughs> Canon, but Canon film, even Canon films has its like, has its like charm. But if if everything's under like one roof, like where is the, where is the, um, where's the drive? You know, if you're like here. You're, like, when do they start taking their audience for granted? And here's the other thing. When do these movies become too expensive to make? Because we're, we're approaching, like, what? Like, we're approaching the GDP of a small country here. We're approaching, like, $300 million for a movie to make. And then it's got to make back its money to be profitable. And I realize that global box office is big. But I mean, there's a... there's a To coin a phrase that's overused, there's a tipping point. And... If we're gonna sit here and throw a party because Disney's buying Fox, we're not we're, we're not aware of that that that's gonna happen. And I'm gonna sound like the the wet blanket in the room for saying so. Sorry, other people on the network. You know, I think sort of a related thing of this idea of of you know our, our folks, you know, uh, you know, cheering a business transaction. Yeah. Um, similarly. 
I, I would say this is uh, this this is my stealth uh, 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 third grievance, <laughs> and it's you don't have to defend these big monolithic companies either. It's okay to be a fan of something, and for it, it, it's okay if I'm a fan of something, Tom, and you're not. Uh-huh. We can still be friends. I, it's it's it not a, in sports all the time. I don't I I don't take it as a personal insult that that uh, you dislike something I do like. I, that 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 that's not a personal attack, or or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And if I say something negative about a particular uh, movie or TV show, the rush to defend. The rush of ordinary people to defend three hundred million dollar you know, multi million you know air companies and directors and actors and so well it's because they wanted to do this or didn't do this or you shouldn't criticize that or you just don't and get it man it, you just don't get it but I I, I understand fandom I appreciate uh, uh, fandom but the rush to for you to be their defense to be the mouthpiece. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird. Uh, I and honestly, like my son knows that Disney owns Marvel. When I was his age, I only knew that certain properties were of certain movie studios because of the logo at the beginning of the movie. Do you remember this one? Paramount Pictures, a Coca-Cola company. No, remember that I remember seeing that at the beginning for for a couple of years. Coca Cola owned Paramount. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was Paramount. Uh, I, re- I, re- I rem- and why do I know that? I remember that from the title screen at the yeah. beginning oh, yeah. of the film. There exactly what you're ones. saying. I, re- I remember like uh, when I I specifically remember now. I was a little older than Brett's age, but I remember the various stages of which um, Warner Brothers went through ownership in the 90s into the 2000s oh, right. when they were um, Time Warner and then AOL Time Warner and then Warner Comedy. Yeah, so I know where you're coming from with that. But yeah, but the, the whole idea that you know who owns what property and, and, and things like that is it's the fact that like little kids know is kind of weird to me. <laughs> like I, I just did a quick Google search and I'm looking at Paramount, a Viacom company. company. Oh. Paramount, a Gulf and Western company. Mm-hmm. That was I remember the Gulf and Western logo because it was the, that was the blue Paramount logo. It would be the the um it would be the mountain and then the mountain would fade to like a like a, a various shades of blue with the stars above the mountain and Paramount a Gulf and Western company below it. Um for years especially on television. Although Viacom is a good example of things being watered down. Viacom owns a ton of cable networks. And a mm-hmm. lo- I think they own MTV, like those, MTV, VH1, Nick, and things like that. And a lot of their secondary networks are now just reruns of stuff that was on the other network, or they're showing they're showing crappy movies all the time. Mm-hmm. So what made that network originally appealing, whether it be like um, uh, one of the various MTV spinoffs or something like that, nobody's watching it anymore because they're running Billy Madison again. I have nothing against Billy Madison, but I'm trying to think, or they're running like (laughs) the fast and the furious five or something like, you know, woohoo. Like, why do I want to sit down and watch this? Like, you know, bring back Syphil and Ollie, you know, like, I mean, just 
where where where's the original program in these cable companies from these from these huge cable conglomerates there is none because they're under no obligation to provide it and it's cheaper for them to run movies or re- reality show reruns instead of producing right. original content they might as well be running infomercials mm-hmm. and i worry okay. that if you only have one media company out there, that's essentially what you're going to end up with at one point or another. But I mean, of, of, of course, you won't end up with one because you know, compet- the if if that's the case, then Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and mm-hmm. someone else picks up the slack. I mean, there's you know, uh, 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 nature abhors a vacuum. Yeah, that's true. Nature uh, business abhors a monopoly. Oh yeah, no, no, um, it's, it's true. I, I learned that in, in in history class in eleventh grade. <laughs> Studied robber barons, <laughs> like, you know, because you, you can't kind of can't walk down the street in in New York City without seeing the name Morgan or Vanderbilt or Rockefeller. <laughs> Or Carnegie. There are reasons for that, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, eventually monopolies do. The, the, you know, history being cyclical as it is, I guess we're just at one end of a cycle. Um, I was gonna. Ah, uh, now I'm trying to remember what I was gonna say because it it kind of came back to the point that I was making earlier about the fact that a, you know, just oh, it, there's independent movie studios out there. There are independent networks and things like that. Sure. And we could certainly go see what they have. Um, some of the low-budget horror and uh, um, sci-fi stuff is fun to watch sometimes. But if indie movie studios could stop putting out stuff that is so pretentious, maybe I'd watch the stuff a little more. You know, there's some <laughs> really good stuff out there. And then a lot of them have fallen into the trap that, quote, literary writers have fallen into. That literary fiction genre that's this pretentious Sylvia Plath turtleneck and cigarette type of stuff that it's like, I, I, I don't, this is not appealing to me as somebody who's like, you know, you're appealing to a very, very niche audience. And no, I know you're not in direct co- competition with The Last Jedi or The Avengers, but, you know, you you could, there's so, you could do something about this. Like, is there an action movie, a crime noir thriller? Something, something that you can make on a smaller budget that like people would really, really latch onto. I mean, horror does it all the time. Why can't some of these um, comic booky type of things do it? Why do they all have to be three hundred million dollar movies put up by giant media conglomerates? You know? Yeah, I mean, in a, I, I, I think the entertainment business would be healthier if we had ten. Thirty million dollar movies mm-hmm. instead of one three hundred million dollar movie. Yeah, and I do need to correct myself. Bring in the ombudsman. Columbia, Columbia. Pictures, okay, yes. A unit of Coca Cola. Yes, and now I'm seeing it because I'm seeing Columbia mm-hmm. and I'm seeing like a Cola, Cola, Coca Cola company. But yeah, it's still, yeah. you know, and um, but you only knew that because you just saw the logo, mm-hmm. and that was right. acceptable. <laughs> it was acceptable because you know it was the logo. Uh, anyway. One last mini grievance before I go out, because this, this this fell off the list because of, of this grievance number two, and it was just a little, little nitpicky thing. <laughs> when I grew up, I was growing up in the 80s. Yes, there were three movies, but the name of the first movie was Star Wars. 
to my knowledge, <laughs> nobody in my generation has ever called that freaking movie A New Hope. Please stop calling it A New Hope. The name of the movie is Star Wars. I'm sorry, it's Star Wars. It's not A New Hope. And if I hear one more Watch Mojo video call it A New Hope, I'm going to punch my screen. <laughs> 100%, brother. Uh. 100%. And we're going to be back in a minute with our uh, feats of strength. So if you've survived this, please stick around. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners and the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this Ultra... Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the relatively geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at Relatively Geeky Podcast blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. It's time for the Festivus Feats of Strength. We had some good times.
The next part of Festivus is the feats of strength. Uh, this often involves someone wrestling and besting the head of the household, but since the two of us are several hundred miles apart, and I don't think either of us really is in physical condition to be wrestling at this point, uh, we're going to be taking part in a new tradition, which is reading a 1990s comic that is not so great, or just basically a bad comic. Because um, for future years, I may go into the 80s. There were plenty of bad comics in the 80s. Um, <laughs> anyway, this time around, we have The Ferret. Yes, The Ferret, number five and number six. Uh, so a little history here. Um, I'm not familiar with the ferret. Uh, I'm not familiar with the ferret as a character. And the only reason I own these two issues is because they were given to me as a part of a huge load of comics that someone was giving away for free. I, I did a PD session at my local school about um, comic books in the classroom. And a woman came up to me and said, I've told this story before, came up to me and said, hey, I have all these comics. They were like my sons. I, 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 I can't use them in my library because they're too adults. Do you want them? because she was elementary school librarian. And I said, sure. So there were several long boxes, mostly um, mostly recent Marvel, a lot of which I recently eBayed, thank you. And um, this one box... Good for you. Yeah, this one box of 90s comics, mostly independent 90s comics. And I think it's honestly a requirement at this point that everyone has at least one short box or long box full of 90s comics to give away. Kind of like how those Mary Jane's candies were circulating like currency through Halloween for years. Like, I think they stopped manufacturing them back in the 50s, but like, they just, they were there. They're always there. Um, so basically, 90s comics are like currency in the comedies, like, and kindling. Um, the Ferret, by the way, is a Malibu Comics character, and it had a, uh, the Ferret has a special back in 1992 and then an ongoing series from 93 to 94. It lasted all of 10 issues before um, Marvel uh, bought the company in, uh, in the mid-90s. Uh, he was part of a line that Malibu had called Genesis, and I think that was also the name of a crossover because the poly bag in which this comic came, yes, I tore open the poly bag. <laughs> I've devalued the comic. Now it's a quarter instead of 50 cents. Um, not only did it have a poly bag, which, and it had a checklist on the front for Genesis, um, it had a sky cap, which is a pog, but it was put out by Skybox. And this, and I'll get to the sky cap in, the, in a minute. Um, and that tied into Genesis. The ferret himself is actually a character that debuted in 1941. In Centaur Comics, Man of War number two, but had not been published for a significant amount of time and therefore had slipped into the public domain. Malibu came around and with the creation of the Protectors, which was basically a bunch of public domain characters that it gobbled up and created a team out of, if the ferret's one of them. And, and it's at the Protector's headquarters where we're going to start issue five, which had a September now, night. Now, first, let me uh, let me interrupt just for a second, because mm -hmm. I am f very familiar with Ferret Comics. Oh, you are. Because of the quarter bins. And you may not know this. Listeners may not know this. There's something very unique about the Ferret number one. We're looking at five and six. Is that right? Yes, we're looking at five and six. Ferret number one was not rectangular. Oh, really? It had the... So I can describe this. The cover was the character's face. He was being punched or something. And the entire book is cut to shape that... To the shape of that. Oh, my God. 
Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm describing that well. I can picture this, but this sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. So the whole book, so so the top of it's basically rounded, you know, to shape like his head. So you know, the top left and right, like a you know, corners are, are cut off a little bit, and then his face it indents a little bit. So it's not it's not a rectangular book. Oh. But we're sophisticated now. We have lenticular covers. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so the protectors. So we start issue five at the. Uh, um, uh, protector issue. F- sorry, we start. I'm, I'm picturing this cover. I know. I totally. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I threw off your groove. It's at the protector's headquarters where we start issue five, and this had a September 1993 cover date. And as I said, it was polybagged. It came with a Genesis Zero checklist on the polybag, and a sky cap on the inside. The cover is by Kieran Dwyer. Um, it shows the ferret and another Malibu hero called Amazing Man, Amazing Dash Man, about to fight some guy who has a blue and red suit with a red cape and like a white face with long hair. It's kind of like if Mongol had white skin and long white hair. He's very much a Mongol-looking character. The ferret, by the way, looks like... <laughs> if the ultimate warrior... Decided to go cosplay as Aquaman. I mean, that's about right. Yeah, that's about right. And everybody on the cover is either '90s screaming or grimacing. Um, but here's I mean, look, all this grimacing. This cannot be good for the jaw muscles. Yeah, I know. Just to uh, say nothing of the teeth. <laughs> These guys are going to need mouth guards for when they sleep. I know. Just a few years from now, it's going to be ugly. Yeah. And God, Amazing Man just is is huge. Um, but I, I need to point this out about issue 5 and 6, because it's the same villain shows up on the cover of issue 6. He's not in the book. Yeah, he's not in the book. I looked through the books, and unless that's supposed to be uh, Bloodlust, because, of course, his name is Bloodlust. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Who is this? (laughs) That's that's a great question. And uh, I I, I don't know. Okay, well, well, I'm going to go with the synopsis. Issue 5 has two stories that actually do tie together, so there's no reason for them to be two separate stories, except for the fact that each story has a separate uh, art art team. I'm going to... I will give creator credits for both stories, but I'll just do... I'm going to do all two issues at the same time, and we'll talk about both issues at once. Um, the main story is called Thicker Than Water. Creator credits are as follows. Writer R.A. Jones, Pencer Dean... De- De- Penciler, Dean Zachary. Inker, Jeff Whiting. Letterer, Tim Eldred. And the editor, Roland Mann. Uh, we open in the underground bunker that is Protector's headquarters, because if it's not a 90s comic, unless someone is in an underground bunker with gray walls so the artists don't have to draw backgrounds, an amazing man and ferret are being blown up by a faulty generator. The ferret saves amazing man and gets him to the infirmary, where Dr. Murphy looks him over and notes that while he is hurt, his body has begun to heal himself already. And speaking of body... Ferret's hair has plenty of body as he talks to the doctor and calls her sweetheart at one point, like she always hoped she would during all those times she spent getting her MD. In this episode, the ferret is played by Eddie Berganza. Um, We then cut to half a world away in the daunting Himalayas, where sits an angel ancient temple. For centuries, it has been both home to sanctuary and the blue light. A cult of assassins whose god is death and whose sacrament is murder and sales at Kmart. And I believe this is <laughs> one cul-de-sac over from the League of Assassins and just south of Nanda Parbat. I mean, there's a ton of these ancient temples in the Himalayas at this point. But don't you just know that 
when R.A. Jones finished writing A Cult of Assassins, whose god is death and whose sacrament is murder, he stopped and said, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's like, like that scene in A Christmas Story good. where Ralphie writes the essay about wanting the BB gun. <laughs> He's like, yeah. He's like giving him, punching some of the arm, like, yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Inside this temple, uh, a disciple named Tybok, which honestly sounds like a Star Trek character, stands all armored and suited up, posing for his teacher, because we pose, and then declares his name to be Bloodlust. The teacher questions his use of technology, and Bloodlust then rants about how it's time to get revenge on Amazing Man for some reason. He asks for the teacher's blessing, and the teacher gives it to him. Bloodlust... Bloodlust teleports out, and as the teacher worries about his disciple, two guys in off-brand Sentinels costumes with Mega Man cannons on their arms burst into the place and yell. Then they introduce their master, the Great Question, who basically looks like Spawn in a great in a, in a he has like Spawn's cape, a completely great costume, and a big question on the front. That's a cosplay this that is, I need to see. This is a. Uh... This is Edward Nigma, you know, back in uh, yeah. one of his goth phases. So the great Edward Nigma, brought to you by Image Comics. Um, <laughs> the great question, Darth Vader's his way into the room. The teacher kneels before him and then is picked up and shaken because blood because bloodlust isn't there, and that's who the great question is there to see. The teacher says that bloodlust will return in an hour because the suit has powers for only an hour, and after that he'll teleport back there. The Great Question definitely has the time to hang out and decides to spare the place for now. After all, he never really was going to appear in Linus's pumpkin patch, no matter how sincere it is. Back in the infirmary, the ferret looks at a porno mag. No, seriously. He was looking at a porno mag, and, and well, this is, kids, what we in the 90s would look at because we couldn't get on the internet to look at porn. And it was a lot tamer, let me tell you. Um, and then he hears the intruder alarm go off. So he drops the porn, and he runs into Bloodlust. Ferret asks him who he is, and Bloodlust replies in one of those oddly shaped scribbled panels that we love from the decade that, My name is Bloodlust, Ferret, and you're right, a man should know the name of his slayer, brother. Um, he doesn't say brother, he's not Hulk Hogan. But, <laughs> but, but he could have. Yeah, but they fight, and they fight some more. And they fight some more. And the ferret discovers that his claw gloves don't do anything against Bloodlust's armor, and Bloodlust realizes that he's wasting his time with Ferret, so he decides to end his adversary's life by shooting a missile from his wristband at our hero. But before the missile reaches its target, the ferret disappears right into the second story, which is a special Genesis backup feature called Dark Fantasy. It's written by R.A. Jones, penciled by Steve Irwin, who by this point had made a name for himself on Deathstroke the Terminator. Uh, inked by Larry Welch, lettered by Dave Lampier, and uh, edited again by Roland Mann. Basically, Ferret is transported to a fantasy castle where he immediately takes on knights who look like a mix of various armor and weapons from many nations and a Jack Kirby comic. Uh, after taking them down, he finds a princess who asks him if he is a demon. He says he isn't, and he tries to figure out who she is and where he is. Her name is Alstasia, I'm going to say that's the pronunciation, and he vows to protect her. He even kisses her, but then he's transported away. We don't know where he is going, but we do know that a huge bad, baddie named Kanapkahan, 
or napcon or napkin, which has apostrophes <laughs> in it. <laughs> it's K apostrophe N A P P K apostrophe K apostrophe H A N N. Knapcon. 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 Yeah, pretty much napkin. napkin. Which has apostrophes in it. It has any because all weird be- beings' names have uh, apostrophes in them, and that's Marv Wolfman's fault, by the way. Corey Ander, he shows up and he's all, "This is my house, lady, and you're gonna die." Um, at the beginning of issue six, which is called Blood Feud, it's written by R. A. Jones, penciled by Dean Zachary, inked by Jeff Whiting, lettered by El- Tom Eldred, and edited by Roland Mann, which I think is the same um, creative team. The ferret flies through whatever teleportation... If you want to call it that. He flies through whatever teleportation he's been subjected to again, and after a quick recap of last issue, we return to Protector's headquarters, and the fight between him and Bloodlust resumes, and they fight, and they fight some more, and they fight some more, and we get an interlude at Truman Memorial Hospital where a nosy reporter is asking some scared young woman for a statement, and the woman, whose skirt is short and torn because that always happened in the 90s um, well she runs away and she has a flashback to what the editors tell us happened in Protectors issues 7 through 9 and then she cries what this has to do with anything else I don't know because I don't have those issues so whatever uh, Bloodlust back in count your blessings that you don't Yeah, back in Protectors headquarters Bloodlust reaches Amazing Man's uh, infirmary room and so does the ferret and they fight and they fight some more and they fight some more uh, Bloodlust gets trans teleported away to the Temple of the Blue Light, uh, which, as I mentioned in the Himalayas, in the Blue Light District, not the Red Light District, but his hour is up. (laughs) And nobody fed the parking meter. Uh, The Great Question is there and tells uh, Linus, I mean Bloodlust, that he'll spare him and not kill him all the way Sally Brown screams at Linus, You owe me restitution! Back at Protector's headquarters, Amazing Man and Ferret are alive and okay, but then Ferret gets teleported back to that fantasy castle again and arrives to find that we have a new penciler in Steve Irwin and a new story called Royal Blood. And blood, in case you needed to know, is black. It's written in black, but it's blood-dripping font so that it's literally dripping blood because, like, it's subtle. It's really subtle. Did you notice that uh, Napkin lost an apostrophe? Mm-hmm. Yes, I was going to say that was my next point. We're sitting on the throne. <laughs> sitting on the throne of the castle is Napkin, who's dropped the apostrophe from the con. He's also beheaded the princess and put her head on display. Uh, Ferret attacks. They fight. They fight some more. They fight some more. And finally, Ferret gets a hold of the weapon that Khan used to kill the girl, and is about to throw it at his face when he's teleported again and finds himself in an alley. The here then another hero named Eternal Man appears and tells Ferret that he's in Los Angeles. And that's where we leave off. And I'm going to let you uh, let me, take the lead. Yeah, let me just start with let me just start with one quick question. What did I just read? <laughs> exactly. Feats of strength, my friend. Hey, 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 okay. Now the only Malibu books I've ever read are for the quarter bin, or books written by my buddy Paul O'Connor. And, and, and other than that, I haven't read many. I've seen plenty of these in quarter bins, and I'm going to including, inter- I think, every issue of Fair. Yeah, you you sent me a um, you sent me a picture of, of one of them, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna really interject here. Neither of us paid any money for this because I I scanned this and um, sent it to you in PDF, and I didn't pay for this. So there's if we're doing a cost benefit analysis, the cost is time. <laughs> Not money. Tom, <laughs> let me explain to you how committed I was to this podcast. 
I bought it. Oh shit! Twenty-five cents, baby. Twenty-five cents. Make, Can you hear that? Make sure to see. The problem was make I, sure I appreciate you. Stella you the receipt because she doesn't believe you. <laughs> I, I appreciate you sending me, you know, the digital copy. But there's nothing quite like holding this physical book in one's hot little hand. I you know? scanned it with the poly bag on <laughs> and with the poly bag off, and I scanned the sky cap, which is of. Reese from, I believe, a comic called Dinosaurs for Hire. Yes, okay. so am I. <laughs> anyway, so, back uh, to your yeah, but, but one thing I have learned, uh, I learned this during uh, Quarter Bin 100, and lots of, lots of people uh, uh, understand this, and that is that nothing gives someone more confidence in any comic, no matter the publisher, when it's part of a storyline called Genesis. <laughs> that never goes horribly awry. <sighs> yeah. Now, let me say a couple of good things. Because you know all those crazy 90s names where you randomly squish together two extreme-sounding words? Blood death. <laughs> that's, that, that's how we got bloodlust. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, that's not that bad a name. No. I mean, the costume, of course, is insane, but the name isn't crazy. First off, it's actually a word. That could have been an X-Men villain name. And and I want to point out, it is spelled correctly. It is spelled correctly. There's not, there's not like, like lust doesn't have a Y in it for some <laughs> reason, or a silent Q. You know, blood is actually, does not have an umlaut over anything. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's actually spelled correctly, which is that in and of itself is extreme. I, you know, I think there's some meta commentary. No, there's not really. But um, uh, uh, issue five, the bad guy refers to himself as supra normal, and I think he's just using big words for you know no reason at that point. Yeah. Um, there's a weird one. In uh, okay, there's lots of weird ones. But there's one where uh, this is the big question. He's making his his dramatic uh, pronouncement, and this is the bottom of page eight, and it goes on to page nine. He says, uh, you know, but if the whelp succeeds in killing my foeman, you'd best plead with all your many gods for mercy. Page turn. <laughs> you'll get none from me. For you'll get none from me, which is fine, except there are literally two pages of ads in between that. <laughs> Not only so that. the way I the way I read it was, you best plead with all your many gods for mercy, super savings from ETM, Ultraverse, Deviant, Genesis is over. <laughs> Can the X-Mutants survive the change? For you'll get none from me. Speaking of which, let's look at the comics that were hot this month. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, first of all, they actually want us to spend a little bit of time with the ads, right? Rune. I mean, someone is paying for those ads, right? But you do sort of, you do sort of lose the flow of the moment. Well, not only this dramatic page turn. Not only that, <laughs> you, you cut back to page nine, which is the "You'll get numb from me," and it's that classic, like it's going to echo, and we're going to cut back to a scene. The panel that cuts back to is Amazing Man's lying in bed, unconscious, resting from healing, and the ferret is sitting in a folding chair at the foot of the bed, looking at the centerfold of a porno. <laughs> yeah, there's some uh, there's some issues there. <coughs> there's some issues. Yeah, I believe there. that's Miss February. That's the <laughs> issue. 
crazy. That's just a, the, some of the weirdest moments I've ever, I've ever, uh, uh, run across. And then on that, on that, on that page, <coughs> page nine, bottom of page nine, you know, they're going for dramatic shading. Mm-hmm. But Ferret, he looks like a Pennywise wannabe. Mm-hmm. It's like evil clown gone wrong. It is very strange. Very strange. As the layout of the panels in the fight scene starting on page 10, it's all these, like, instead of a grid, it's all these, like, off-kilter. Right. Ex- I think right. there's a rhombus in here somewhere. There's, there's a trapezoid. <laughs> like, one of them One of them has, like, the... the um, like, like it's somebody took a bunch of sticks off a Blair Witch figure and like put it there, and instead of actually drawing <laughs> straight lines, and, and then there's one panel where like Bloodlust is running at us, where the the anatomy is like it's on page thirteen. The anatomy is completely wonky, by the way, because like his leg, his leg is like the size oh, yes. of my torso, but he's it, the panel's like round, but it's all like crashy, scratchy or something. It's oh my god, this is just so. Yeah, I mean, I understand there's there's a concept of artistic perspective, but what is happening to his hand claws yeah. there at the top of that page? Again, as you said, to say nothing of his left knee, <laughs> which is uh, it, hashtag confused. Now, here's the thing, though. That page and the next page, bottom of that page 11, top of page 12, mm-hmm. Kerchak and Fadal are two pretty great sound effects. I'm not gonna lie. Oh yeah, we get we get plow crang. <laughs> but if side effects are the highlight of your book, maybe that's not a good thing. Well, the coloring. Let's talk about the color. <sighs> it's we're not even on page episode. We're issue six is just bad. I mean, Marvel did buy Malibu for the coloring process. <laughs> it is brighter than a Valiant comic. Valiant comics were always washed out. I just I crack up. Just looking at page eight of issue six, we're like, this woman's shirt, skirt, it's like, I think I see her butt cheek. It's so short. And it's torn. And then the the um, the reporter is just doing one of those, like, she's dressed like reporter, but sexy reporter. So, like, you know, <laughs> like, this is a Cinemax movie at 1130 on a Saturday night. I, I, and then the, the art... And the art in the back of story isn't particularly good, which is disappointing because Steve Irwin penciled um, Deathstroke the Terminator from issue one to on and off through the first like 30 or 40 issues of the uh, series. He might have already gone all the way up to around zero hour. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to say that it was also it was him and the combination of his anchor, uh, Will Blyberg, who Will Blyberg was a fixture in terms of... Um, DC, like, he did a bunch of Ostrander, John Ostrander comics and things as an inker. Blyberg on Irwin's art is good. And and Irwin's Deathstroke stuff, mm-hmm. like, those first, especially the first, like, dozen or so issues that, that Irwin did, um, the first five or so, and then that four-part with Batman called City of Assassins, that's some great stuff. It's some great artwork. He really knew how to draw a good action comic. This is not the same Steve Irwin. I, I don't know yeah. if it's the inks, if if he was rushed or, or what. <laughs> this storyline is terrible. Do you think maybe this Steve Irwin was the uh, crocodile hunter? I don't know. Maybe you think that's what it was? We got a different Steve Irwin? Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, I, you know, I kind of didn't mind the fantasy half of this. It was sort of standard 
generic fantasy. Mm -hmm. But standard and generic is a step up. Why is he being transported back and forth? It makes no sense. You know, I tried not to ask those questions. Um, Let me talk about six for a second. Okay, okay. Um, First off, more grimacing on the cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, this guy, he's not in the issue. No, he's not. There's no white ponytailed guy with red, the red cape and black. I mean, this guy's... yeah. You can't. I, I tried to stretch. I, I sh- well, maybe if you different yeah. color scheme or different gaunt. No, I, I don't think he's and, in there. And I should point out that um, Kieran Dwyer did the cover to five. Sean McManus did the cover to mm-hmm. six, and Sean McManus did a boatload of Omega Men covers back in the eighties. If I'm now, if I you correctly. you mentioned the um, you mentioned the Aquaman. <laughs> Sorry, <he's>, Rob. <laughs> he's got an orange bodysuit. With green gloves, uh, gloves and boots. Let me ask you this: Open up, look at the first page of issue six. Mm-hmm. What are those legs? I, I, that's not his orange suit. No. Flip the page. That's that's skin tone color. Huh. I mean, his orange suit is much more orange than that. That's much. That's very much. I don't. It appears. Uh, I don't think he's wearing any clothes, Tom. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Well, this is not. I mean, the, this is in a code of book. Let's, <laughs> let's say the orange is very peachy. Yeah, it is very peachy. In that particular <laughs> that particular panel, but wait a minute, what happened to his? Cl- wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! And actually, I thought it was very nice that on the second page they recapped the last issue. Yeah, because that way, I, that way, I knew what happened. Oh yeah, I got into a fight that I'm going to continue. And not only that, on the middle of page six, we have the sound effect. Is that swap? We're like. The panel is the sound effect. Oh, yeah. Hmm. S-W-A-A-P, maybe? Yeah. Which Swap? Uh, on some level, is kind of cool. But on another level, it's like, it doesn't work. Especially since they put a space between the W and the A. Yeah, I don't... Hmm. <laughs> I, do like, I, I do like Kadang and Thrak <laughs> on the next page. Uh, basically... My notes, I have a note on page 2 and a note on page 14. So I, okay. it's not that I was, wasn't paying attention to the fight scene, but uh, mm, yeah, they fought a lot. <laughs> the highlight of which was the sound effects. Doesn't Thomas DJ call this punchy, punchy, run, run? <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. And uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but is that Animal? And It's not Animal Man. Amazing Man. Amazing Man? Uh, it's uh, page 15. He has A's on his boxer shorts. Of course he does. Branding. You yes. got to brand everything, man. Yes. yes. And I don't know... I don't, even, I don't even want to know what the big question man is wearing under his big question suit. But anyway. You mean Spawn? <laughs> Seriously, it's Spawn's cape. <laughs> this is so bad. Um, now... You don't want to take these books seriously. No. But 
in issue five, we meet this queen. Mm-hmm. This queen, this queen of the realm, whom Ferret has an immediate, you know, attraction to or or a, a connection with. And guess what happens at the very start of page si- of issue six for dramatic effect. Now they didn't have refrigerators back in medieval times. No, but so I guess we have uh, women head on pedestals. That's pretty bad. It is pretty bad. It's like I mean, this is this is legitimately a female character being introduced only to drive the male protagonist. This is like exhibit A, B, and C mm-hmm. in that argument. Oh yeah, it is. I, I was surprised. I was shocked. You know when I saw that, but. <sighs> that that's not good. It's very much. I mean, it's God. This is just. It's this is this book. This makes this book so nineties and so. The only thing it's missing is a character with like gargantuan breasts and very little clothing <laughs> drawn by. It's missing like Tarot or Lady Death or yeah. you know, something that like Boundless Comics puts out nowadays or whatever the heck that name of that. When I'm flipping through previews, I see it. You know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, where it's like, <laughs> you can order the adult cover. It's like, do I really want to? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I do think one drawback to maybe looking at the 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 physical, <laughs> physical copy is, wow, these colors are bright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, 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 they're pretty bright on the digital too, but trust me. I mean, you can what, say what you will about the printing and the coloring process. Twenty-four years later, it has not faded a bit. No. I wish it had it. I wish it had. And they're using. I guess they had to just. They're using um, better paper than your typical comic of. Well, this would be. This yep. would be after they ditched the newsprint paper in the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. This comic, by the way, was two dollars and twenty-five cents U.S. Three dollars Canadian. Sorry, Canada. <laughs> eh. Whew. Yeah, but I just had to wait twenty-four years to get an eighty-nine percent discount. Yes. So. So it's positive. Let's can I can we do a couple of these ads because uh, so we got we got an ad for the RoboCop three video game for the Genesis and Game Gear. That's a movie I don't think I ever actually saw. And I'm looking through the ETM ad, and I'm looking under image <laughs> right. And th- this just cracks me up. Okay, image. If you, it's all the way toward the bottom, second column in the bottom of the thing. Um, image. Blood Strike four new Brigade two four death. <laughs> <laughs> Gen X three, Jim Lee. <laughs> it's just aye, like, aye, aye. look, I'm giving them credit. They're pretty fair prices. Yeah, there's not much that jack that's jacked up too crazy, except for Batman's. Well, ETM, uh, if if you remember, um, where I finally uncovered the whole uh, difference between ETM and American Entertainment, which hasn't mm, had in mm-hmm. this issue, ETM was the new comic subscription uh, dis- distribution game for them so they're offering they're offering new image books at a slight discount because new image books shipped for about a buck 95 a piece and they're offering them for a buck 75 some of the batman stuff it looks like this is all trades so whereas on the um guaranteed christmas delivery so this is actually time i just dropped my copy of issue five um on orders postmarked by december 1st so we're actually seasonal with this 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so now you're getting into back issues where Batman, Batman 500 number collector's edition was going for three bucks, but the first two chapters of Nightfall were ten dollar books. Mm, right, um, right. Let's see. Hot comics. Um, you could order uh, Alien versus Predator number. Oh, the limited edition of number one was fifty dollars. I'm like, why is that a fifty dollar book? Eternal Warriors like one, five, and eight were ten dollar books. Unity number zero was five, but the red edition of number zero was one hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> And number one was a $15 book. Um, Uncanny X-Men number 248, which has nothing significant in it as far as an event is concerned, but it was the first issue of X-Men that Jim Lee ever drew, was going for $20, which actually is pretty accurate. That was a $25 book at my comic shop back right. in the 90s. Right. Um, yeah, so this is this is where we are. We're coming to the... This is around the time of the bust, too, if I recall yep. correctly. I'm looking at, at at one from the the one from ETM and in the other issue, and I just a little little factoid here: they have you know grab bags that they're offering. Uh-huh. The um, the Valiant grab bag is a dollar forty each, yeah. the a, a, average price. The Image grab bag is ninety nine cents each, and the Marvel is seventy cents each. So it's a sort of comparative value of sort of the average and you have the, average book of that. You have the comic surprise bag. Forty five cents. Forty five cents each. Now what the hell is in the comic surprise bag except for like <laughs> three three old impact comics exactly. and a bunch of issues of blood strike. <laughs> Maybe a couple of Archies, I don't know. Uh all right. Well, I honestly, I mean, I, and I'm looking at other things. Uh, the back, the back for both of these is there's a Star Trek Deep Space. Strange things are afoot of the Circle K. Um, there's a Star Trek Deep Space Nine icy comic book collector cup thing, mm, which because Mar, I believe Malibu had gotten the license for oh, Deep Space right. Nine, and I gotta say. I don't know who did the artwork. It kind of looks like Phil Jimenez. This is the back of issue five, by the way. It's very Phil Jimenez looking. It may be Phil Jimenez. Because um, he was... This was in the first couple of years of his career. And uh, maybe I'll actually... I'll take a picture of this. I'll post it to Twitter. I'll ask him if it, cause I follow him. I will, I will tweet at him about this. Um, but the artwork is actually really good. Um, you know, the likenesses are pretty pretty spot on and uh it looks like there's like comic books on the cups which is kind of what they did. they used to do that with he-man back in the early mm -hmm. 80s at burger king right. I, I went crazy trying to collect those back in the day who was it that did an episode recently about cups it sounds like something was, bailey would do. um there was the fire and water presents episode. okay oh shag it was shag and rob shag and maybe? somebody yeah, right yeah. right but it was on fire and water collector's cups yeah that's right the pepsi cups for something I, I yeah i i haven't listened to it yet but yeah, i guess 7-elevens and yep 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 <clears throat> so and we have a bunch Crazy. of we have a bunch of house ads mainly for those man of war and some of the other ones that they um that they uh had acquired through public domain things um now i do have to give them give them credit for one of these this is towards the end of uh the end of uh issue six uh -huh. the genesis is over can the x mutants survive the change 
Yes. Genesis. The eye in Genesis lightning bolt. is a lightning bolt. And I appreciate the fact that they did not actually do that on the cover. Like, there was a little bit of restraint there. Like, someone said, I've got this great idea. Uh, we can't do that. No, we can't. Well, that's... Okay, put it in the house ad when the event's over, okay? Now, that, that's when we'll use your brilliant idea. Now, it looks like the villain from the cover is in that ad, right next to the word Genesis. That kind of looks like that guy, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Same grimace. And just below him is a woman in a orange and brown suit, which is which is like... Because the Cleveland brown colors are always attractive. <laughs> and so she's flying, and her breasts are, are hanging, but perfectly firm and round. But her... Her butt, which has one of those aerobics oh thongs that that would oh like Rogue had this this costume basically in the '90s, but her butt's like up in the air. It's like <laughs> this is it. I don't think this is anatomically possible. And and what is Jimmy Olsen doing right underneath her? That's the other thing I'm con- concerned about. I don't know, but Jimmy Olsen doesn't have legs. <laughs> They're behind whatever <laughs> smoke is there. This is bad. Uh, the back of the comic, ha- both comics, has a super advantage um, controller thing. And this was something my friends and I, like, um, really... I don't know if modern-day video game kids get into this as much, but back in the day for both Nintendo and Super Nintendo, there were secondary controllers that you could buy that had other buttons, like turbo buttons and things like that. Mm. Like, I had the NES Max controller, which had a... a, a a D-pad and kind of a swivel thing that you could use, but it had turbo buttons. And uh, the NES Advantage and the Super Advantage has a um, a joystick in addition to the um, the buttons, which I think they probably came out with, especially with the NES Advantage, to the people who wanted to play Nintendo but had grown had been used to playing like Atari and arcade games and they were used to a joystick and they didn't like the fact that they didn't have a joystick um, so maybe that's why they came out with it but uh, but yeah it's just I just remember seeing that I think a friend of mine had one of those uh, I never had the Super Nintendo so we have one now because mm-hmm. we have my wife's old Super Nintendo but she didn't have that <laughs> controller so if you've got it I don't have anything else to say about that Oh, I'm done. Okay. I'm done. No, please. We're going to take a quick break, and we are going to come back just to close it up to talk about something that's a little less festivus and a little more Christmas and take it on a nice note. So we'll be back in just a moment. Stick around. think of podcasts about religion, you probably think of this. But at least one religion podcast sounds more like this. I kick ass for the Lord! Dorkness to Light is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith, religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books, because we're nerds. Our primary focus will be on Christianity, 
because that's what we know best. But all religious content is on the table. Well, think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism. This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history, because we're theological nerds. If these topics interest you, check out dorknesstolight.blogspot.com for our more regular content. Or dorknesstolight.tumblr.com for our more irregular content. Memes and puns, mostly. My bad. Dorkness to light. Often irreverent, rarely sacrilegious. And we're back. So um, to close it out, uh, I, I decided, I, like just like I did last year, I just wanted to um, close it out on a more positive note because we basically have been complaining and then making fun of, you know, kind of doing our doing our our our, our duty as, as fans and, and, and making and, fun of these really truly awful and, comics. And you owe me a quarter for that. <laughs> I'm not going to be able I to deduct owe, that on my taxes. I owe you nothing. You bought I did this that for you, man. This <laughs> oh, <laughs> is so bad. Um, and I don't think they'll buy it back. I'm sorry. Uh, so anyway, um, we uh, just like I did last year, I wanted to just talk about talk about Christmas or, or the holidays for a little bit, and I just wanted to close out with asking you. Uh, one one of your favorite things about Christmas or or the holidays in general, you know, we don't have to limit it to Christmas. Yeah, well, let me. We'll do one sort of family uh, uh, Christmas uh, tradition that we do, and that's uh, something called little presents. And this one comes from the Middleton side of the family, which is actually not the side of the family that I that I knew well. Uh, my father was an only child, and. His parents did not approve of my mother hmm. uh, to the extent that they didn't attend the wedding. Oh, wow. And I never met either one of them. Sorry. Um, I, I accidentally spoke with that grandmother once when she called you know, the house to talk to my dad. Other than that, nothing. Um, but despite his, his parents' attitude, my dad was the dutiful son. And twice a year, he headed out to Cleveland to visit them, spend a week with his folks in the summer, and then one between you know Thanksgiving and Christmas. And when he came back from the winter visit, he would have 48 little presents with him, 12 each for me and my sister, him and, and my mom. And we'd open these up, one a night, for the 12 days of Christmas ending on uh, Epiphany or, or a 12th night. Yeah. And growing up, these were things like, you know, matchbox cars, uh, little school supplies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, it, we, we ended up with more paper clips than one person ever needed. Uh, you know, there was always, you know, candy bar, nine volt battery, a book of stamps. That was when you actually wrote thank you notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, $5 bill, you know, folded up, something like that. Uh, and when, 
uh, my grandmother died. My mom took over the tradition. And the presents got a little bigger and a little bit better. There may have been like a music cassette, you know, something that size. Mm-hmm. Mini flashlight. Do you remember when you needed watch batteries? Yep. I mean, you got to think small. I mean, little. these are little presents. And then uh, she upped the cash to $10. And then uh, when my wife and I married, uh, it was a tradition that, that, we can, that my mom, my mom continued for a while with us. And then when a- M came along, you know, we, we took it over and we, we still do it. You know, and these days, most of those little presents are gift cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- things about that size or a USB drive or uh, hand lotion, something like that. We have dropped it from 12 to 7, and we open them after Christmas, ending the last one on, on New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. And you know, we wrap these up. So they're they're on the fireplace mantle, so it makes for little nice decorations as well. And you know, it doesn't take much of a background in psychology to figure out why this is important to us. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the one thing from that side of the yeah. family that 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 we have uh, in terms of really any memories at all, not negative or positive, just really a- a- anything. So that's something we do, and I think it, it's actually it's I, th- I think it's. Pretty unusual, a sort of a borderline unique uh, little, literally little tradition of the of the little presents. Yeah. Here, here, I expect you to say you just take five fifty <laughs> and you go to the store, and then and then M opens one comic, then another comic, <laughs> then another comic. <laughs> Ferret number eight. I needed this one. <laughs> uh, it was I think it, it was uh, I think it was in a. Uh, in a stocking one year, uh, Santa brought a roll of quarters, mm. otherwise known as 40 comic books. Or laundry. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, well, if it had been an Emily's, the day. a stocking yeah. would have been laundry. Yeah. Um, my, my parents did something with little – yes, like nothing like that, but like our stockings when we were a kid would be filled with like just stuff that my dad would wrap like because he just – just stuff for to, for to open – so like a toothbrush, film. Remember film, um, cassette like right. blank cassette exactly. tapes. Oh yeah, deodorant, I'm, I'm, you know, like now I'm sure film was was in that in that list as well. I kind of do that with Brett and Amanda, where I put little things in there. Although we tend to also do what her parents did with stockings and um, put candy, like you know, wrapped up candy bars and this sort of stuff. But that, that's a really cool tradition. Um, mm-hmm. My aunt was the only person in my family who ever actually, she called it Little Christmas, um, but really paid attention to the, to the Feast of the Epiphany, probably mm-hmm. because she's Catholic. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I, I, she used to do that thing where she would walk the wise men from oh, right, around, sure. around the, right. um, and my mom was like, I'm going to do that one year. So she walked the wise men around the living room and didn't appreciate that riding the wise men were Lando Calrissian and Han Solo because my sister and I, when we were teenagers, were, were smart asses. Still are technicalities. Yeah. Technicalities. Um, mine is it's it's an interesting one because um, it it was starting as a teenager and then into um, my just age. Um, Christmas Eve kind of took on a whole different thing for me because like when I was a kid, Christmas Eve was we went to one side of the family and Christmas Day we went to the other. And then my grandmother, um, a few years after my grandfather passed away, uh, my grandmother stopped hosting Christmas Eve at her house, and we would basically um, 
rotate between various aunts and uncles, and we'd always do it like the weekend before Christmas. In fact, my sister's hosting it this year. <laughs> Good luck, Nancy. Um, and uh, then we go to my mom's side of the family the next day. But um, when I was in high school, we had stopped doing it by then, so we, Christmas Eve was always open. And my friend Melissa always had people over Christmas Eve, family, friends, and stuff like that. And she was around the block, so I always went there, and then I would go to church with my mom. And so Christmas Eve, to me, became the time you get to spend with people that you're not obligated to spend Christmas Day with. And I love my in-laws. I love the fact that my in-laws come down. And our Christmas Eve, our Christmas days are great because we, it's very low-key, and we watch a couple movies or whatever. We sit around and we talk. We have a really nice dinner. But now it's like basically Christmas Eve is um, if we're making cookies or doing whatever during the day, Amanda and I can sit down with you know, a bottle of wine and we exchange like some sort of gift on Christmas Eve and, you know, like a, like a bottle of wine, usually like this mold wine we buy, you know, and, and watch something that's, you know, um, as cheesy as it sounds, we will sit down and watch the Rick Steves European Christmas special from a number of years ago, or just, or watch the, one of those like choir concerts, mm-hmm. the PBS mm-hmm. broadcasts. And it's this, there's this, it's kind of more intimate and like quiet in a way. And I, and I really when I think about Christmas Eve, I always like thinking about that because it's like, it, it's been special ever since like when I was a teenager and I'd see like three or four friends every Christmas Eve and even into college where some of us had started losing touch with one another, but we'd always come back as much as we could. And I still, I still message my friend, Melissa, every Christmas Eve and say, you know, Merry Christmas. And because, you know, I think her, her dad's passed away and like, you know, they're, they're, we're all like, all of us are like all over the country at this point, but it was so I I think of like I always think of like you know how lucky I was to have friends who I could get together with around a holiday that you know the next day which was I joked about obligation but it always was like Christmas was always it's off limits to anybody but your family right and that's right. how I grew up and I appreciate that because it is a special day so but it is kind of nice to have those to have those times when your friends like you know um, and and even then, in even back when I was dating um, the girl I was dating in high school, she was not part of that, which sounds cruel, but at the same time, it uh, makes sense. No, Amanda would have been part of it because Melissa's part of the reason we met. So <laughs> had she been up on Long Island <laughs> with me go. for Christmas, she would have come over to Melissa's. But it was just one of those things. It's just so I always enjoy it, and I enjoy like listening to Christmas music and stuff, and then and then putting out the gifts, and then Christmas morning we can you know all hell can break loose, and we can open up all the presents and throw on the fire remember, and crank the music and everything. Yeah, one well, one other thing uh, growing up that we did, and we still usually do it uh, nowadays, is you get one present on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And that's usually something too that will occupy you until everyone's awake in the morning. So it would have been a book, mm-hmm. you know. Now it might be a graphic novel, yeah. or, or uh, you know, it would have been you know a cassette or a CD to listen to, you know, something. Yeah. So if you're the first person up, you have something to <laughs> occupy your time before yeah. you. I was wake everyone else up. I think I was telling Stella that in the Christmas Carol episode that. Mm-hmm. We went to Target and bought like a cheap twenty dollar fake tree for Brett's room, and I last year like I I held all of his comics, and like I picked them up and I just didn't give them to him and then I would put them under the tree and and, and <laughs> gave him a couple of toys, and my my dad heard about this and so he actually has sent a package and there's stuff 
a box of like little things to put under Brett's tree so he can open them up. Oh, this right, morning. Nice. So it, it's kind of cool. Nice. Like you know, and, and granted, you know, it sounds like he's a totally spoiled kid. He's like got his own Christmas tree, but like, you have to understand this thing's like <laughs> three feet tall. It's like it's a tiny Christmas tree, and it was just like one of those things where like you know, let's have fun with this because you know why not we were buying a we had to buy we had to buy a new christmas tree last year anyway because the old one broke so yeah there you go hey 20 bucks yeah so no i'm looking forward to the holidays this year i'm 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 looking forward to tuesday night (laughs) when i'm done (laughs) um i'm looking forward to seeing last jedi on saturday as of recording this and hopefully by the time this comes out i will have um at least said some good things about it on online and um (laughs) and i'm looking forward to just this time off so yeah so it's something in in this year uh christmas christmas being on a monday Mm -hmm. we've got uh, the sort of there's a built-in three-day weekend yes aspect to it which is i think nice for those of us unlike us Mm -hmm. who will not be on break anyway yeah so I think that's a nice little little built-in feature yeah. for you know for uh, for for folks that weekend. Yeah. And I think what's cool is that um, for me, anyways, that Amanda had use or lose time to take. So she's taking her last oh, day is right. Friday. She's not going back until in January. So so we're all sure. off, and it'll just be oh, nice. Great. And, and we're not going anywhere this year, so it's just it, it will mm-hmm. truly be mm-hmm. relaxing. And um, so before we head off to uh, well <laughs> to bed, and then to um, to our, our, our winter wonderland as it is uh, please tell everybody where they can find you mostly I can be found at relatively geeky relatively geeky podcast network where we do the infamous quarter bin podcast as well as the much better and more popular short box showcase uh, with Emily and a handful of other shows as well and then uh, a couple of years ago we started a, a side project called dorkness to light which takes a look at pop culture, comics and movies and TVs and other things uh, that have a specific religious or theological or spiritual content to them as well. And that's enough to keep us busy. (coughs) Okay, as for me, um, I will be back next month with uh, what I don't know yet, but um, be sure to check out the blog. I will be posting a blog entry between Christmas and New Year's as I do every year. Um, I know specifically what it's going to be about. It's going to be about a specific Billy Joel song that takes place in 2017. And um, next year, I've got some pretty cool things planned for this podcast, but I'm not going to reveal anything because I want to make sure that they all line up before I do. Yes. Secrets. Well, I just don't want to make promises I can't keep. And there you go, too. A promise I can keep, though, because they are in production and I'm just holding them off until January. If you're listening to this and you've been wondering where the hell the new episodes of In Country are, they will be starting back up in January and I believe I will have enough to do it to get back on my every two week schedule at least for the first few episodes first few months of 2018 and um, I've only got about 20 episodes left of the show so um, it may if it doesn't finish next year it will finish in 2019 and I'm looking forward to to, to getting back into the nom so um, well I'm a fan so that's good news yeah, so 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 look for that and look for um, look for this show and of course look for required reading um, every oh second week of the month and until then thank you for listening take care and have a Merry Christmas Happy New Year and Happy Holidays all around she cut them herself 
Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit. All clips and media are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, so no infringement is intended. Feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. For more content, including show notes, media, and essays, be sure to check out the blog, which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness. Oh,